We looked at some verses that people may talk to you about that say, well, how does this particular passage of Scripture fit into what you're telling me that salvation is by the sovereign act of God's grace upon his people? And so we started looking in Romans, the 10th chapter last week, and I want to finish that this week. And I won't rehash all of that, certainly, but to lay a little bit of groundwork of what we talked about last week, Paul is writing here, and I will give you the first three verses to start with, where it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And somebody may ask you, say, well, if salvation is solely by the work of the Lord, why does Paul here have a desire for Israel to be saved? It sounds like when he writes this, he considers them unsaved. Why would he have a desire for them to be saved if salvation is, a, is solely the work of the Lord? And we talked about the two different types of salvation last week, where there's a salvation from the wrath of God in eternity, but there's also salvation in this life from the consequences and, and the effects of sin. And we went through there and gave multiple examples, you know, where the Bible talks about, you know, one of the examples is the Bible says a woman will be saved by childbearing. Does that mean that a woman has to have a child in order to be delivered from the wrath of God in eternity and to be saved? Certainly not. The Bible also talks about where it says uh, that if and keep in memory what is preached unto you, you will be saved. Does that remember that you've got does that mean that you have to remember every single thing that was has ever been preached to you in order to be saved from the wrath of God in eternity? Certainly not. So we defined it as there is an eternal salvation that the Bible tells us is by the grace of God, meaning that it is unmerited favor bestowed on us and we do nothing or there is no condition that has to be met in order to be a recipient of that. It is God's sovereignty and his choice. And if you take issue with God being a God of choice, I encourage you to start in the book of Genesis and start reading and write down all the numbers of times you find where God made a specific choice for a person uh, or a group of people, for a nation, for a day, for a king. It's all throughout the Bible that God is a God of choice. Now, when it comes to a salvation in this life from from the consequences and effects of our sins, that is certainly something that we need to take ownership of. When, when you see places in the Bible that say, if you will do this, then this will happen, that if tells us there is a condition that must be met in order to, to be the recipient of this particular type of salvation, and that tells us that applies in this life. Right. When it's talking about the salvation and eternity, we don't have any conditions on that that have to be met. Now, I know that it's, it's widely taught that there are conditions that must be met. No understanding that. Let's go to the next part here where when Paul says, my desire is for Israel to be saved. What is he wanting them to be saved from? We determined last week that his desire for them to be saved is from that belief that you must meet certain conditions in order to be saved from the wrath of God in eternity. That is a belief that puts you in bondage. Now, you may not realize that that puts you in bondage. Uh, I have talked to people before. I've experienced it myself where you begin to question, you know, if there's a belief that I must do these things in order to be 
saved from the wrath of God in eternity, some people over time begin to question the sincerity of those actions. And it can put you in terrible bondage. And you can say, did I, did I really mean that when I, when I prayed that prayer? Did I, did, was I really more looking to just escape hell uh, when I reached out to the Lord? Uh, or was it more that I just genuinely, genuinely wanted to serve the Lord? What, and you begin to question all those things and it will put you in bondage. I've talked to people before that said, and I've experienced to some degree myself, where they, they would just pray the prayer every day. That I just, you know, if I didn't mean it then, Lord, I hope I mean it now. That's a prison. And listen, you say, well, I believe that and I don't feel like I'm in a prison. Think of it this way. If a young child as an infant is brought into a prison and all they ever know is the routines and the methods and the way things work within that prison, they have no knowledge of the outside world. They don't grow up feeling like they're in prison. To them, it's just what they know. But that does not mean there is not a freedom outside of that that they are just unaware of. And so Paul says here, my desire is that you might be saved from what? He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Spirituality is not the issue. A love for God is not the issue. A fire and a zeal for God is not the issue. A lot of times you'll talk to people about what the primitive Baptists believe and they take it this way. They say, well, you just think I'm unspiritual. You just think I don't uh, understand. The... That's not the issue. Paul says, listen, your zeal is not the issue, he says. He says, but your zeal is not according to knowledge. And he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, the word righteousness in there means to be accepted or approved in the sight of God. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. He uses a pretty strong word there. We talked about last week, week about being ignorant. These people that, you, that he is talking about, it would look like this. If you walked up to somebody and you said, tell me why you are approved and accepted in the sight of God. They would say, because I did fill in the blank. That's what this would look like. Do you see that in modern day times? Absolutely. Why are you approved or accepted in the sight of God well because I repented because I confessed because I believed, because I was baptized because I did all these things this is what it would look like and Paul is saying to them I want you to be saved from the bondage that comes and his word here is from being ignorant that your approval and exception by exception by God is not based on your doing. It's based on God's doing. And he says, I want you to, to be delivered from that. Can you imagine him talking to somebody? Paul coming up to a young lady and that young lady says, oh, Paul, I just pray and I pray and I pray over and over and over that God would accept me. And I just don't feel like I mean it. And I feel like, I, you know, maybe I mean 90 percent of it and there's 10 percent I don't mean. And Paul, I'm scared and I'm worried. Paul says, you're in prison. And you lack, I know you love the Lord, but you lack some knowledge. Let me save you from that prison you're in. Let me break you out of that prison. So the Jews here that he's referencing believed that their righteousness, 
their being approved by God was established because of what they were doing. So Paul goes on, this is where we'll pick up. Paul goes on and says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And he says, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. Now we're talking Old Testament law here. And it says that righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Amen. I believe that, that the man, the the law that, that Moses gave from the Lord to the people, the people that did those things would live by them, but it had nothing to do with the eternity in heaven. It was about here, because Romans 3 says, What advantage hath the Jew much in every way? Because unto them were given the oracles of God. And I preached a sermon one time about the advantage the law gave the Jewish people over all the other nations in so many ways about what they could eat. It was a healthy diet when other people were eating whatever, the, the rules of sanitation. Those laws allowed them to thrive here on this earth and certainly brought a quality of life that a lot of these other nations didn't experience because God said, let's do this this way. And he says, but there's another type of righteousness. That's the righteousness of the law. You could say that's a time salvation. He said, but there's another type of righteousness. And he says, the righteousness, which is a faith, speaketh on this wise. The righteousness of the law says this. If you'll do this, then this will happen. But the righteousness of faith doesn't say that. The righteousness of faith speaketh on this wise, and it says, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. Now what in the world does that mean? It simply means this. He's telling them the righteousness of faith says don't act like. Christ has not already come and walked a perfect sinless life and died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and don't act like he didn't come up out of the grave because it says the righteousness of faith says don't say well who shall ascend into heaven to go get Christ and bring him down so he can fulfill the law. Don't say that. It says, and don't say, well, who's going to descend into the deep to bring Christ up? You don't have to send anybody into heaven to bring Christ down because he's already come. You don't have to descend down into the deep to bring Christ out of the tomb because he's already done it. He has fulfilled the law like he said he would. So talking about this law, it says, what does the righteousness of faith say? It says, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, and it, that is the word of faith which we preach. How many times in the Bible do we have to read where the Lord says, I will write my law on your heart? Now, in the Old Testament, he took a table of stone and he wrote it with his finger. He put the laws of God on those tables with his finger. But here he's saying, I've written them in your heart. We'll look at a verse in a minute that says, you, knowing that you're the epistle of Christ, And that he's written the law on your heart, not in tables of stone, but he's written them on the fleshy tables of your heart by the Spirit of God. He says that's where the law is. Now, how in the world did it get there? And so then we get to a verse here that people are going to bring up to you. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
All right, now look. Romans, the 10th chapter. In the first, now, this is something that's real important. One thing that, it may not bother Brother Tim, but it bothers me a little bit, is that if I'm preaching a series of sermons, for example, like that's what I have been doing all about the Primitive Baptist doctrine. Eight, nine, ten sermons. It bothers me a little bit that somebody might have missed number four, five, and six. Because seven's not going to make as much sense. I want you to have four, five, and six so seven will make sense. Now, thankfully, we can go back and listen to the podcast, and I hope you're faithful enough to go do that. Romans, the 10th chapter, follows Romans, the 1st through the 9th chapter. And if all you do is pull Romans 10 out, and out of Romans 10, you pull one verse out, you've missed so much that he's already said. And it's important to know that. And what has he established already in Romans? My goodness, Romans the ninth chapter, one of the greatest chapters on the sovereignty of God. In Romans the ninth chapter, we read about where he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. We read about over in Romans the second chapter where it talks about the Gentiles. And he says this, he says, the Gentiles were not given the law. The law was given to the Jews. And he says, but the Gentiles who weren't given the law, we find them doing the very things that the law tells us to do, which is the very proof that God has written something on their hearts. How in the world can you be obeying what God said to do when God never gave you the tables of stone? Because God put it on their heart. God, that, that clearly there, clearly Paul has laid the foundation all throughout Romans that this is by grace. In nine chapters, what his belief is here. And he, he, nowhere in the first nine chapters does he ever say anything about accepting Jesus or does he say anything about asking him into your heart or making him your personal, all those terms that we, he says none of those things. In Romans, the 10th chapter, he starts the first verse by saying, my desire is for you to be saved. He says, you're zealous for God, and that's a great thing. He says, but you lack some knowledge. He says, it is not based on what you do that saves you. It's based on what God has done. He says Christ came from heaven. He fulfilled the law. He died and he was resurrected. He says he has written the word on your, his law on your hearts. And then he goes to cap this off by going back to salvation. Did he mention in the first verse, if Paul's desire here is for these people to be saved, he gives them eight verses. And then he comes back and says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... Now, what is he talking about there? He doesn't really say anything specific. He just says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. What does he mean? Well, if you talk to somebody who didn't even know what that meant, they'd go, Lord Jesus. You see? That's all he says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That is all things that encompass the Lord Jesus. That is his coming. That is his fulfilling the law. That is his death and his offering himself to God, not to us satisfying the wrath of God and coming out of the grave and ascending back up into heaven and sitting down on the right hand of the majesty on high, which is all summed up in the three words he said on the cross, it is finished. To embrace and to confess 
It is not because I followed A, B, C, and D. It is because of the finished work of Christ. Confess that. And you'll have the key slid into that prison door and unlocked. And then he says, and if you'll believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. To believe that this is not the end of it. That this is a finished final thing. The jail cell swings open and you're able to step out onto a solid rock foundation that is God's righteousness bestowed to us simply based on his mercy. There's a freedom in that. And Paul says, if you want to be delivered from the prison and the bondage that is believing that you're going to be standing in the sight of God in eternity and delivered from his wrath based on what you have done, if you want to be delivered and saved from that, throw that aside and confess the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is all about. And he goes on and he says, for unto the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know what a lot, I think a lot of that verse there is talking about? Is to confess it, to proclaim it. With the mouth confession. Brothers and sisters, if you believe those things, that is not something you hide secret in your heart. Brother Tim offers every Sunday that the doors of the church are open. Come up here and confess it. Say, he is, he is the Lord, He has done a finished work, and I believe He has done a work of grace in my heart, and I want to follow Him in discipleship. Confess those things. It says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, from what? Saved from the bondage of thinking that what you have done is the reason you will be in heaven. I'll go a step further to thinking what you have done plus what Jesus has done puts you into heaven. He's saying it is finished and you need to believe that. In 2 Corinthians, understand now this is the exact same writer. The exact same writer says this. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle, an epistle is a letter, something that is written. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. He says, listen. You are something that has been created by the Lord. Created by the Lord in in the new birth. A new creature. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And he has written you as a letter, putting his laws. Now he says, this person is ministered by us. That does not mean that, that, that we don't labor with people and teach people and help people and preach to people. Paul says he makes you what you are as far as a child of God goes and you are ministered by the by the people of the earth that God has has gifted to to nurture and encourage and minister to you. He says, and you are what you are because of the spirit of the living God. And notice what he says in verse five. Verse four says, and such trust have we through Christ to God word. Notice he doesn't say in such trust we have through our own doings. Through we have through Christ to Godward. Notice this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, 
But our sufficiency is of God. Couple that with Romans 10. He says, you're ignorant because you're going about to establish your own righteousness and have not submitted yourselves to the righteousness of God. That's just another way of saying you have made yourself out to be more than you should have. And you've made Christ to be out way less than you should have. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So, at the beginning, beginning I said this is what it would look like. You go up to a person and say, why will you be accepted and approved in the sight of God? And they say, because I filled in the blank. What Paul's saying is the answer should look like this. Why are you accepted and approved in the sight of God in all eternity? My sufficiency is of God. Amen. And that's what Paul says. That's what Romans 10 is about. Amen. Romans 10, if you read through, the, through Romans 10, what, what I've read, you will find nothing in Romans 10 about an individual being condemned in all eternity for their sins or, or anything like that. You will not find heaven and hell being an issue as you read through Romans 10. It's about being delivered from something right now. And that's from establishing your own righteousness. I hope that that has made sense and been profitable.